Hello, welcome in. It is a Saturday night, Sunday morning edition of Always College Football. We appreciate you being with us. We are here in Hartford, Connecticut. I just landed, flight from Dallas, called the Big 12 title game today. Had two screens going here in the primetime window, watching Michigan, watching Florida State. I had a man cave experience there on an American Airlines flight, and I don't know where else you'd want to be watching doubleheader conference championship game right next to each other. It was an amazing day of college football, but let's get things kicked off on Friday night. Washington punches their ticket to the playoff. We talked about Washington all year long. We loved them up until week five, and then they just didn't play very well there in October, right? They just didn't play very well. They didn't do what they needed to do. They didn't really play to their standard. They kind of played to the level of the competition, and it resulted in a bunch of one-score victories, and you kind of fell out of love with them. And I felt like the reasoning for falling out of love with them was somewhat justifiable. But now looking at the total picture again, I think they've improved and taken the steps necessary on defense. I think they did a great job creating some big plays in the passing game against Oregon. Now, the defense was leaky at times, too. Gave up a couple really big plays, a couple quick sequences where Oregon was able to go right down the field and score. So there are still a few things to clean up for sure. But, man, that was an excellent performance from Michael Penix. I think he thrusts his name back into the Heisman Trophy conversation as well, rightfully so. But Dylan Johnson ran insanely hard, especially at the end of the game, too, when those yards were hard to come by. Man, he was just mowing people over and refusing to be denied. It was as simple as that. He just refused to go down at times, and there was nothing that Oregon could do about it. What an addition in the portal he was for Mississippi State this past offseason. Hasn't been utilized a ton there in the early going, but he's become more and more of a factor in the offense. Gives him a little bit of balance when they take the field. But it's really about the return of Jalen McMillan, 9 for 131. Welcome back to the show, Jalen McMillan. Second week back, but, man, we missed you. You are still an elite wide receiver, and you proved it again the other night. Thought Roma Dunze had a big day. Thought Jalen Polk had a really good day. And Penix, man, he made some really tight throws. Feel bad for Oregon, but I do think we were maybe probably overreacting to a little bit of fool's gold. I think we give Washington credit. Oregon's a good football team. That was a rock-solid win. But we came very enamored with Oregon, their offensive efficiency, and all these other things. Thought the, the Vegas line was outlandish. We talked about last week. But either way, that was a tremendous victory. For Washington and Kayla DeBoer, man, a gutsy victory that really took everybody, especially there in the third quarter. It looked like it was slipping away. They flipped it into reverse there in the fourth quarter, handled their business, had a couple good runs down the stretch, and got it done. So just an incredible performance. Great, great, great way to cap off a perfect regular season. The first one by a Pac-12 team since 2010 Oregon. Moving on to the noon window, the, the game that we called today, Texas and Oklahoma State. Texas. All year long, they've had unbelievable personnel. I mean, defensive line at times, I think, has been the most disruptive group in the sport. They have two defensive tackles that will just take over the game, but the edge guys are nothing <laughs> to overlook as well. they got a middle linebacker in Jalen Ford that's tremendous. Texas is outstanding on the defensive side, and they showed it again, too, for for them to bottle up Ollie Gordon the way they did. I know Ollie Gordon was a little bit banged up at times in the game, but for them to bottle him up, I mean, the guy had no space whatsoever. I mean, his biggest play by a mile, at least it felt like, was the screen to the right-hand side. They did an unbelievable job teeing off on him and making sure that he could not have an impact on the game. And that was a tough matchup, too, because that's an offense that has really been running the ball with great efficiency in the last nine games. 
Offensively speaking, Quinn Ewers was awesome. I thought he had a terrific game. Very accurate, decisive, getting the ball out. The out and up to Adonai Mitchell where he was able to anticipate. I mean, the ball's in the air before Adonai Mitchell even turns up field. What another addition in the portal to Texas. The rich get richer. They had a great wide receiver core before. You add Adonai Mitchell, then it just takes it to the next level. Only unfortunate thing in this game was the injury to Xavier Worthy. Now, Steve Sarkeesian said after the game that x-rays were negative. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm not a doctor. So I am a little concerned, though, with how he was favoring that left foot. He kind of rolled it there on the sideline. He walked without hardly any power on that left leg whatsoever. They got an x-ray, like Steve Sarkeesian said, I'll take his word for it, the x-rays are negative, but ligaments, things like that, is a sprain. Is it something that is going to be able to be healed fast? So he could potentially return for a playoff spot because I think Texas is, is in. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see a scenario based on how they've played the last two weeks. I know that there were some performances early in the season, too, where we could point to and say, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll point to a few myself. Kansas State. They had a huge lead in the game and self-inflicted mistakes allowed Kansas State to return and make that game much more competitive. TCU, another game that they were in full control of at halftime before TCU climbed back into it. Houston, 21-0 lead like that before Houston climbed back into it. And Quinn Ewers got hurt in that game as well. So I think when you look at Texas and you look at maybe they haven't played to their potential all the time, 60-minute performance, but when they do, that, those moments and those games, the last two in particular, where they do give you that complete performance, there's no doubt in my mind that Texas can play with and beat anybody in the country. And they proved it this past weekend with another ranked win on their resume. It's a good win. Oklahoma State's a good football team, and Texas made quick work of them there in the first half of the football game when Quinn Ewers threw for 350 in the first 30 minutes. So just an amazing performance from top to bottom. Let's get to the SEC Championship. This game went about exactly as I expected it to go. And when we talked about this, I thought the opening drive sequence from Georgia, script, everything, right down the field, really nicely done, well executed, so it looked like they were getting a little bit of a surge early. So I started to think, oh, boy, we might have gotten this one wrong. That was my initial thought. You know, we, we talked about it on the show last week, and for those that watched I thought Alabama had an edge at the line of scrimmage. And if you think back about the SEC and the SEC championship, just how often that game is decided by those four defensive linemen and those four offensive linemen, their five offensive linemen, excuse me, that's usually what decides that conference. In a game like this against Bama and Georgia, it's going to be decided along the line of scrimmage more often than not. And that was kind of the way it was in the game today. I thought it was an extremely physical game on both sides. I thought Alabama's secondary did an amazing job. I know Georgia fans are probably real upset, thinking there should have been more flags, there should have been more. I didn't see it that way. I thought both sides got away with a lot. Uh, I thought there were multiple examples in which they were being physical on the perimeter and they were just kind of letting them play. So big overarching takeaway. That was the Alabama team that we had hoped that they would become when we talked about them in the preseason. A big, physically imposing offensive line that can move you off the point of attack. I mean, there were multiple times where you're seeing Georgia defensive tackles that are four, five, six yards downfield, and in some cases, they were on their back. I mean, how often do you see Georgia defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, getting pushed and walked off the line of scrimmage? It's rare. It's really rare, and I can't think of a time I saw it happen in the last two years. But we told you this year's Georgia defense was not the same.
They're just not. They're not as good against the run. They're not as good on the edges. You can, I think, beat them with quarterback run game, with perimeter run game, and Bama found a lot of space, both on the perimeter with some of the quarterback run stuff and with Roydale Williams, who I thought filled in really nicely for an injured Jace McClellan. Thought that could be a potential significant loss for Alabama, but it was nothing. I thought Jalen Milrow had a really solid game, very solid, made good decisions, hit some guys on underneath shallow crosses. When Georgia was dropping deep, he was willing and patient enough to take the underneath and let their guys run. He took some shots downfield. Didn't complete as many as they would have probably liked. Did take some shots downfield, though, that I thought it was aggressive plan by him. Thought he took advantage. Thought he ran the ball pretty well. A couple sacks that you'd probably like to have back, but for the most part, you're playing against a great defense at times rushing the quarterback. So they're going to get theirs at times, too. So I thought it was just an outstanding performance from Alabama, uh, probably their most complete performance of the year to date. And yet there will be times for Georgia in this game to look back and say, man, we made some mistakes, right? There will be some times when they look back and they're like, shoot, man, if not for that fumble that led to a touchdown for Alabama, if not for the field goal miss, not for this, if not for that, maybe things could have, maybe if they would have reviewed the long catch that, that some people thought was a catch, some people didn't, but maybe if they would have taken a, a further look at it, George is going to look back at this game and, and see a few what ifs. And that's understandable from their perspective. That is completely understandable. But the takeaway that I had in this game, Bama was the more physically superior team. And I'm not saying they have more pros or the more guys that can make more money and have bigger contracts. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that they were physically superior on this day and being able to impose their will, do what they wanted to do, especially at the end of game situation, putting the game on ice, being able to run it right down their throat with Jalen Milrow and others to be able to just shut this game out, take a knee and call it a day with a three-point win in the SEC championship. Now, what does it mean for Alabama? I think it means that there's going to be a huge discussion between the Crimson Tide and the Florida State Seminoles, who got the win in gutsy fashion tonight, 16-6 over the Louisville Cardinals. It was not an appetizing game if you are an offensive football guy, okay, or gal. If you like offensive football, this was not your game. But I will admit, as much of a sicko as I may be, I found it to be highly compelling <laughs> because it was a little bit, you know, when you're watching a great baseball game and it's a great pitcher's duel, and they're just one bad pitch, one bad run fit, and the game could be completely over. Well, that's what happened with Louisville. Defensively, they played amazing. They did such a great job. I mean, they really did. They did such a great job throughout the entire game outside of a couple of wildcat run fits. Lawrence Teofili goes down the right sideline, gets the first touchdown of the game, and at that point they found something that they felt like they could get back to. Now, Florida State, man, if there's one thing we're taking away from this, is not necessarily the offensive performance. But Toffoli, I thought he played great. And there were plenty of opportunities for him as well. But Louisville could get nothing going against that ferocious pass rush. Ferocious pass rush of Florida State. I thought Jared Verse, really the last handful, really the last month of the season, you've seen his play and his production start to really ramp up. Braden Fisk, from the first play of the game, Braden Fisk was playing at a higher level as far as energy than <laughs> just about anybody. That guy was flying around from start to finish. That Kalen DeLoach being able to get that tip. I mean, Lifson is wide open in the flat. If Jack Plumber can just get it around Kalen DeLoach, I mean, there's a ton of – he might score. I mean, it was from the 40-yard line or whatever it was on the fourth down. 
But it, still, I mean, that would have been a real possibility to flip the game and flip the momentum and shoot big play like that, big conversion like that could have very easily affected the ultimate outcome in the game. So it was a, I thought it was a gutsy performance from Florida State, a gutsy performance because your quarterback at that point, and he threw into traffic a couple times, got away with a few. Ben Perry dropped the pick on the seam, but that was a gutsy performance. And they had to basically kind of take the ball out of his hands and say, we're just going to run it with the Wildcat or do whatever because we just can't. The only way we lose this game is if we turn it over and it felt like that for a moment. But it's the block punt. Next thing you know, Tatum Bethune makes a play. It, it was just – it was a team effort tonight from Florida State. And while we all get enamored with the discussion of, well, the best team, the best team, the best team, if Bama teed it up right now against Florida State, I'm taking Bama. Uh, I'll be the first one to admit I think Florida State's a really good football team, but I'm taking Alabama. But will the committee do that? I, I don't think they will, said from, from the beginning. I think the committee will take the path of least resistance. Florida State, well, I thought tonight, showcased just how good of a team they are. They are not player dependent, individual player dependent. That was a collective effort, a collective effort by both sides of the football, 22 starters, probably in the game you've Saw somewhere in the vicinity of 40 players on the field for the Seminoles on offense and defense. And it took every single one of those 40 dudes to get that job done tonight. It was a complete grind, but they found a way and they deserve immense credit for being able to find a way. I think the committee will put them in the college football playoff. I do. When you look at their, at their entire body of work, they have a win against LSU. That's a common opponent. Alabama played LSU. So did Florida State. So they have that in common. So you can almost, I kind of eliminate that, right? Alabama has the much better win. No one can deny that. A win over Georgia, a team that hadn't lost in many years, number one team in the country, neutral site environment still, that's the best win of the season. And you can make a case that maybe Texas's win now after the fact, maybe Texas's win at Alabama was an equally good win. I wouldn't push back on that if that's the argument you want to have, but I don't think Texas is necessarily in jeopardy at the moment. I think it's going to come down to Florida State and Alabama. And they have a one-loss SEC conference champion that just beat the number one team in the country with the best win in college football and arguably the best resume. That gives them four ranked wins now with a win against Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Four ranked wins for the Crimson Tide. They have the best resume. They do have a loss on their resume, but that was a long time ago. And will the committee be able to forgive that I don't know. I think the committee will take the path of least resistance. I think they'll say, well, Florida State is undefeated. As a result, they're in. They also challenged themselves out of conference and played LSU just like Alabama did. They played them in conference, but Florida State won their out-of-conference game. Bama didn't. Florida State gets the benefit of the doubt. That's what I think they'll do. I don't know if that's ultimately what's going to happen, but I, I think that's what they're going to do. They're not going to try to make waves. They're not going to do the controversial thing because the controversial thing would be to put the one loss team in over the undefeated team. That would be the controversial thing. And I don't think they'll go there, even though I think Bama's the better team. Full disclosure, I think Bama's the better team. I think they'd win the game if they played them on a neutral site. But will that be what the committee does? Michigan didn't learn a whole lot from them tonight. A lot of just quick, short throws, safe throws. Thought McCarthy played okay. But Iowa's whole plan was to kind of keep things in front of them defensively. So it was just things underneath and stop the run. And Michigan was going to beat them badly. I mean, I, I thought they'd boat race them. Uh, I didn't think Iowa would be able to manufacture anything offensively, and they didn't. So that game went about exactly as I thought. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs that we want to give before we get into a little bit more of the playoff discussion, because there is a little bit more that I think I'd like to 
kind of discuss on the topic. SMU, Rhett Lashley, congratulations, man. First conference title in a very long time. So congratulations. We had you in the game, by the way. So we saw the pony. We were on the Pony Express before it even went down. Miami, Ohio, what a big upset win over a previously 11-1 Toledo team. Those guys have done a great job defensively all year long. They did it again, too, against Toledo, just stopping the run, keeping them in in, in check, and doing a lot of really nice things. So Gret. Congrats to Miami, Ohio. Amazing. Boise State, what an absolutely dominant performance there by Green and Gene T to lead Boise State to a 44-20 victory, another Mountain West title. And to think that they have an interim coach that's now gone 3-0 with a conference championship to boot. It's pretty wild to think about. Troy gets their second consecutive Sunbelt championship. Amazing, amazing team. They've done an amazing job all year. Kamani Vidal goes for 233 and five touchdowns. Unbelievable performance. And then finally, Liberty. Will they be the New Year's Six representative from the group of five? It's looking likely, especially after their win against New Mexico State. All right, back to the college football playoff discussion for just a moment. Just quickly, let me wax poetic just for a half second because I'm really bummed that this is the last year of the, of the 14 playoff. I'm excited about the 12 team, but you guys know me. We've talked about this. I'm an anti-expansionist. And there's been something that's definitely been felt real to me throughout the course of the playoff era, and even the BCS era before that. And there are playoff games that are built into the regular season. Like, you lose the game, you're eliminated. Or you run the risk of being eliminated. There are examples in which you lose the game and you find your way back in, a la Ohio State last year. When they lost the game to Michigan, found their way back in the playoff, and nearly won the national championship. There are examples of teams that, that might lose the so-called playoff game and still have a chance to win the championship. That's a real thing, and it's happened before. But in this particular case, if Bama's on the outside looking in tomorrow, then Texas and Alabama was a playoff game. Ohio State's going to be on the outside looking in, so is Michigan's going to be in. So clearly Michigan and Ohio State was a playoff game. You look at the game involving both Pac-12 teams. They're in the Pac-12 championship game. Even though it's a championship setting, that was a playoff game. The SEC championship, if Bama makes it in, that was a playoff game. You win, you're in, you lose, you're out. So the playoff games that were already built in the pre-existing structure of the regular season and conference championship weekend is something that I'm really going to miss, especially for the elite teams, the elite teams that are teeing it up for real, real stakes, knowing that if they win, they're in. If they lose, they're out. And they might still be one of the four best teams, but they don't want to leave it at the mercy of the committee, which is where a few teams are right now. I mean, Georgia, I think they're one of the four best teams. They're not going to make the playoff. I think they're one of the four best teams. Like, if, if you want to ask me who the four best are, the teams I would least like to play, the teams I would least like to play, some combination of the following five. Bama, Michigan, Georgia, Texas, and Washington. Those are the teams I would least like to play. Those are the five. Least like to play in really no particular order. Those are the teams I would least like to play. But the committee has never, ever, ever really used the eye test as an example for why they should make it in. They've never done that. Outside of the example that was 2014, when they said, well, I think Ohio State is better than TCU and Baylor. That was a fair assessment, especially how Ohio State had just beaten Wisconsin. It was a totally fair assessment. Ohio State had just beaten Wisconsin. They had done so much really since their original loss to Virginia Tech in week two of the season, they flip the switch and they take off. And at that point, too, the Big 12 didn't play a title game. So they could point, well, they didn't have a 13th data point. So guess what? Ohio State, you played in the championship game. You move on. It was easily justifiable. 2015, 
one of the debates that should have been going on was Michigan State beat Ohio State. But to be honest with you, Ohio State was way better than Michigan State. We all knew it. Everyone knew it at that point. But guess what? Michigan State was in the playoff at number three where they got boat raced against Alabama 38 nothing in the semifinal. 2016, Penn State was 11-2. and They had lost to Ohio State. Ohio State beat Penn State, didn't win the Big Ten, but beat Penn State. And Ohio State found their way into the playoff. And Penn State sitting at 11-2, and they were playing in the Rose Bowl, where they played SC, who was also probably at that point one of the four best teams. Sam Darnold got inserted. They had won eight straight games. They were rolling at that point. In 2017, you had two loss to Ohio State. They lost to Oklahoma. They lost to Iowa. Bama had just lost to Auburn. Bama was 11-1. Ohio State was 11-2. One loss is less than two. They put Bama in. Ohio State was at home watching the championship. And then in 2018, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, they solidified the top three. They were all undefeated. And then you had Oklahoma that was being measured against Ohio State. Oklahoma, with Kyler Murray at quarterback, lost to Texas by three. They avenged that loss in the Big 12 title game. And then Ohio State lost by 29 points to Purdue. Even though they were 12-1, and one, they were left out because Oklahoma's margin of defeat was not that significant, and they were able to avenge the loss. The committee is going to take the path of least resistance. I'd be shocked if they didn't. And I can't say I totally disagree with them. If a team goes undefeated in the midst of crazy adversity, I support their inclusion in the college football playoff. I do. I really do. But the committee, if they do put Florida State in, they can no longer use the term for best because I think it's disingenuous. Just acknowledge the fact that it's the foremost deserving, and I think we'd all be able to absorb that information a little bit better. I don't have a problem with it. Whatever direction they go, they go. But just help me understand why. And I don't feel like I've ever gotten an appropriate reason why from the college football playoff committee. But, hey, tomorrow we find out. Actually, we get the ratings, rankings in about 12 hours. So tune in, ESPN, noon Eastern time. I'll be on the desk alongside Reese Davis, Booger McFarlane, Joey Galloway. A few others will join us from home as well. So it should be an awesome day, a day to celebrate football, a day to have great conversation about what we just witnessed over the last 14, 15 weeks of the college football season. So for all of us here at Always College Football, who's taping late after a great day of consuming college football for Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific start to your Sunday morning, whatever it is you're watching this. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.